So, uh, welcome Emily Walker from uh, from found, you founded Faith After Deception Fellowship Facebook group, and yeah. I've loved to be a part of that. I've loved to get to know you and your your spirit and your attitude and the way you treat people in their walk with their faith. Some people are kind of losing their faith. Some people are trying to find it and having that yeah. that person there to just be a kind, kind spirited person to love them through it is just wonderful i've loved watching that with you so super appreciate you coming on the show i'm excited to talk to you and get get to know your story and one of the things i wanted to start with was how on the facebook page which is faith after deception fellowship you call yourself emily walkeroo (laughs) now your last name was walker but on there you call yourself emily walkeroo and i loved the video where you explained why you did that could you tell my audience why you call yourself emily walkeroo (laughs) that's right that's true well the thing is you know i realized that when people are in a, a toxic religious group or some kind of cult or high control group they become very serious, isn't it? We kind of lose our sense of humor. We take ourselves too seriously. And so I thought one day, you know, I don't want to be that person that tells people how to live their lives or sits on a podium on Facebook and starts preaching at people. So I thought, no, I'm going to take myself less seriously. I just want to be somebody who can be friendly and somebody you can have a laugh with. So I thought, why not call myself Emily walker so that nobody could dare take me too seriously? (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Emily Walkeroo. So how long mm-hmm. ago did you create the Faith After Deception Fellowship page? How long has that been going? Oh, that's a good question. Well, a year before we started, well, I started the Facebook group, I was moved to start a blog, Faith After Deception, at WordPress.com. It's a small blog there. And I was really enjoying, you know, writing articles, reaching out to people. My aim was always just basically to make friends with people, to build up a network of of concepts of people, other human beings. You know, it's hard, isn't it, on the internet because everybody's like a nameless or a faceless name. Uh, people kind of hidden behind their computers, isn't it? And people shouting at each other in the dark um, mm-hmm. online. And so I thought, no, I want to really just reach out to other human beings who are out there online and, and make friends because i that's what I needed you know, at that time. I thought I needed more human <laughs> interaction because uh, with my husband, my husband and I have always been very, very close, but we don't have so much of a group of friends who really understand what it's like to have been in a cult, in a toxic a religious group and then to come out people don't understand isn't it so it's nice to meet people or to find friends online who do um, so that was why I kind of started the, the blog and in fact I, at the beginning I thought I'm not going to start a Facebook page because I saw you know how toxic and how difficult Facebook groups can become you know how people often arguing with each other and debating and not really considering each other as human beings so I for a year which was about June, June 2016, I started blogging, and then in exactly one year later, June 2017, I was contacted by a person from Australia. His name is Daniel. He's now become a very good friend, and and he said, Emily, I love your blog. Can I join your group? And I thought, oh, you know, because 
we didn't have a group. <laughs> we, uh, I'd just been making friends with people individually, you know, via Facebook Messenger and things. And I thought, sad, and I really prayed about it. And I thought, how sad to tell him, sorry, we don't have a group. That's, um, that's what I have to say. And so I felt moved that very day to create a Facebook group. So that was June uh, of last year. <laughs> so it's pretty new then. Yeah, it's just every year old. That's right. That's awesome. It's grown great. And it's a great group of people yes. that I've appreciated being a part of it. In, inevitably, the question is going to come up because we've mentioned the name of the group three times now. Mm. Faith after yes. deception. What does that mean? Okay, that's good. It's a really good question. So, you know, I was um, on my journey trying to discover where I was at faith-wise and um, trying to process all the experience. I've been in a cult. As you know, I was a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses oh, for some years, and, and that was really hard for me. And then finally, when I came out of that, I was... Um, you know, trying to just forget it happened. You know, people say, as we've mentioned before, isn't it? People say, do you just move on, move mm -hmm. on, move on yeah. with your life. And so I attempted to do that for about six years just by forgetting that I'd, or well, trying to figure out I'd ever been in a cult, never ever mentioning it. I was so ashamed. The, the deep core of my being was shame, you know, the fact that I wanted to just hide it, hide. Because if you say the word Jehovah's Witnesses, people get a bit kind of like, ooh, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> even, yeah. uh, even the ex-cult community, other people can find it a bit um, hard to tolerate, you know, that name. And so... That was where I was at for many years. And then I started to, I, I met uh, one particular friend online by video actually on YouTube. <laughs> videos on YouTube can be so powerful, aren't they, for connecting people. It's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so she was talking about her story. And I thought, well, you know, I don't have to be in the shadows anymore. I don't have to be alone. Um, so anyway, I was praying about that, and one day I was in the kitchen, and I don't know why, I just turned the lights off, and I was praising God, and I was crying, I think, I don't know why, I was just this kind of relief of finding another friend who understood, a lovely, um, another woman who lives in, in the States, actually. Anyway, so, and then I was always praying, and I was always praising God in the darkness in my kitchen. <laughs> um, the name just came to me, Faith After Deception, you know, because we've all been so deceived, isn't it, that yeah. we feel, and I think for me that was the root of my shame, that I felt I've believed in lies, I've... I've been deceived, and then you feel stupid, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. feel like, what did I do? Why on earth did I get involved in that? Especially because I got baptized as Jehovah's Witness as an adult. You know, I wasn't a child. I wasn't brought up in it. So I'm always like, I was for many years thinking, why, why, why was I so stupid? Why did I do that? And so I thought, no, there has to be a way forward. We've been deceived, but what is faith after deception to find? What do we really believe? Who are we? What is our faith? So that was the aim, really, and how it was all um, born. That's fantastic. I have found many, many people who go through high control groups, cult groups. Um, they lose their faith. They give up on God yeah, because so so much of these kind of systems are built upon lies. Especially, mm. you, know, you look at the Christian prosperity doctrine, where oh you know, yeah, just name it and claim it, and and then when you mm. don't get what you named. Yeah, your doubt yeah. really kicks in and your faith of is course. dissolved. And, and so the, to me, the concept of having faith after mm. you were deceived is powerful. I loved it. Mm. And I, I like what you said a minute ago, how f 
uh, the YouTube videos really kind of brings people together. I know on my channel, I have been yes. contacted by so many people yeah. who yeah. say I had the exact same story mm -hmm. or I had the exact yes. same situation. There was a young man yeah. who got a hold of me and said, uh, I just want you to know that if I had not found your videos, I don't think I ever would have had the courage to get up and get out. Oh, and, wow. and that's a, that's a great kind of testimonial to the fact, yes. not for me, but for the fact that we actually can get that message out there and reach people yes. and touch them. Yes. And that, that's wonderful to me because we've been able to create a, um, you know, fellowship with people that I don't think we could mm. have had otherwise. No, no, it's true. I agree. It's a blessing. It's yeah, blessing. absolutely. So you, we didn't mention it in the beginning. You came out of Jehovah's mm. Witness. You, yeah, you, yeah. You went in as an adult, and I did too, into the group I was in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, did you read the book Spiritual Abuse or The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse? Yes, 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 that's right. I'm very slowly reading it. I'm at the moment now, a stage of my walk where I take a book that I really appreciate and I really need to read, and I read it extremely slowly so I can really meditate on it, really you know, share quotes it. and things. Yeah. yeah. So I was just reading, less, I think I'm about 60% of the way through of the subtle power of spiritual abuse yes and that's been incredibly helpful hasn't it one of the things mm. he talks about the most and i think it's near the end of the book where he talks about recovery mm -hmm. is mm. is how he likens it very much to uh, drug and alcohol abuse yes in that yes. in your recovery process the very first thing you always do is self-criticize and yeah. you've, you've said that a couple times now, how you've, you've mm. felt ashamed of, yeah, of, you do. of yeah. going into it. Yeah. So mm. talk about that. You, you said that you've been out for about six years before you started this group. Yeah. Before I started the group. So we, we kind of, it's all, it was a long, long period of time. We started to, as we say, wake up from the Jehovah's to realize that we're in a lie about 2009. Um, with my husband and again it was a lot of th things through YouTube watching videos discovering all the lies all the false teachings the fact that it was founded by a, a Freemason and you know all that <laughs> we decided to discover and for my husband it was much more difficult because he was brought up in the cult he was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness so he had had it all his life you know basically on and off so he went into a bit of a period of depression because the, the, it was just too much of a shock you know really to think um, of everything that all the lies he believed and the fact that it was like uh, you know waking up from Alice through the looking glass isn't it like where am I what, yes. what on earth is this and your whole life has turned around Yes, absolutely. And so, but we both were very strong in our faith still, and we we weren't gonna, you know, just throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were. You know, we weren't gonna turn away from from God because it was actually our faith that brought us out and brought us, you know, to a place of healing. Um, eventually so it wasn't that we were going to turn away from from god and strong faith and belief in the bible etc so um we we um we were at that stage in our lives where we were just kind of discovering everything and feeling overwhelmed <laughs> you know when you're like ah what on earth is all this and i remember the very first time that i actually accessed a youtube video to watch um to discover the lies that we've been taught and you know that was a forbidden thing to do to to <laughs> to learn about to watch a video from a critic of mm -hmm. the Watchtower was absolutely forbidden. You know, yeah. in the did they really kind of forbid you from? 
the internet or just yeah yeah um, anything critical apart from their own website which is jw.org uh -huh. apart from that you're not allowed to watch anything and they go on and on and on and on and on and on about it and they've literally put phobias in there they make you feel yes. so fearful yeah so yeah i remember the first time i accessed a video my hands were shaking they were sweating <laughs> i was like my heart was beating and i thought oh i'm sinning i'm sinning but i thought you know well my husband had asked me to watch it to, to watch it so i i i did and then I was in shock, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there was that period, but even before that I'd been unhappy with the witnesses, and you know when you first go into a group and they treat you like royalty and you feel so special because they it's that love bombing, bomb you, isn't yeah. it? it's the love bombing, isn't it, and so, but then of course once you get baptized and you've been in the group for a while, that wears off and people just start being kind of indifferent towards you again yep. <laughs> isn't it or, That's true. Uh, so that had been going on for a while and I was unhappy and I'd already started to realize myself a lot of the teachings that were not biblical you know I'd started to kind of see that the Holy Spirit in me was revealing things uh, the fact that you know they believe that Jesus um, already came back invisibly <laughs> around uh, all those different dates they put forward, 1914, 1919, all yeah. this stuff. And it was always and changing was like, too, yeah? It was always changing. In the, the beginning, it was like the end of the 1800s, but then then Jesus didn't come back, and then they said, oh, yeah, but he came back in 1914, but it was invisible. <laughs> all this. So uh, I couldn't really buy that. But I thought in other aspects, I did agree with the teachings and still do it to some extent with some teachings. I think this is the hard thing, isn't it? When you come out of a group, I don't know if it was the same for you with, I mean, I have your, your particular brand of Pentecostalism, but you start to analyze, isn't it? Which are the truths which are, are biblical and true and real, and which are the truths which we just can discard and forget about? <laughs> yeah, you really <laughs> but, had to, I had to just sit back and, and, and kind of start with a clean slate. And mm -mm. I use the term yeah. denominational yeah. lock which is right. how people are locked into this little sandbox that their denomination mm. creates for them. And they can't yeah, really yeah. see the scripture as a whole without mm. the blinders on of their yes. group. Yeah. So I had Please to kind of just totally take a step back, wipe yeah. the slate clean and try to start mm. over again. Uh, yes. And I'm always, I'm always going back to the scripture in first John uh, chapter one, where he says the anointing that abides in you, he mm -hmm. is going to teach you all things. Yes, um, exactly. So I really That's wanted right. to focus in on that for, yes. for my recovery. That's but. Right. Mm -hmm. So, That's Emily, right. what was it that caused you in the very beginning? Looking back, can you do you remember that aha moment or that first thing that made you stop and say something's just not right here? Mm, it was a lots of things, <laughs> lots of things. And as I say, it was a gradual thing. It wasn't like one moment. And I mean, actually, even the day of my baptism, the day I got baptized as Jehovah's Witness, it was something didn't sit right with me as I was 22 years old. And I was waiting you know, in the changing rooms and where is my swimming costume and the T-shirt over it and everything. And I'd been in Christian environments before. I wouldn't actually call the Jehovah's Witnesses a Christian environment, to be honest, but I'd been in other, you know, I'd been in healthy congregations before. I'd been in healthy churches, so I don't know in a way. I do know, but it, it was it was a shock for me to be in an environment, in that case, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, where people were so controlled by fear, 
you know, I, I hadn't really noticed that until the day of my baptism, <laughs> mm -hmm. which was just crazy, really. The, I don't know, that realization came over. I was waiting in the changing rooms to go out and get dunked, you know, under the water. And there were other girls and their young, you know, teenagers and young women like me. And nobody was smiling. You know, mm, nobody, yeah. you know, it was supposed to be this such an exciting day and we were going to get yeah. baptized. And I was feeling excited because I'd been indoctrinated and I thought this was a wonderful thing. But everybody looked so, you know, terrified and, mm -hmm. and very, very silent. And so that was kind of a bit of a red flag for me because I thought, what, why are people so silent? Why is nobody rejoicing? Right. You know, we're going to get baptized. Hey, yeah, <laughs> why are we all the greatest thing in your Christian faith? Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I'd actually, you know, I'm one of these people who's been through a long spiritual walk and I'd got baptized as an adult previously to that, you know, I'd gone through, <laughs> isn't there? When you go through different religious groups, sometimes, you know, to get baptized. So I had been, I had had the experience of adult baptism before that, you know. Oh, we were so, the same. If you weren't baptized really, right, you had to be re-baptized. Yes, re-baptized, yeah. yes. The Jehovah's Witnesses baptism is entry to the organization. In fact, it is really scary and I hadn't really even experienced it before because I was such a new convert and I'd gone through the whole process of becoming Jehovah's Witness uh, so quickly. So I'd never actually been to a baptism before my own. My own baptism was the first one wow. <laughs> I'd ever been to. Yeah, yeah. I'd seen them from afar because, you know, they have these big conventions, big like conferences, but they always do the baptisms, if the big conventions, like at lunchtime, so you don't really get to see what's going on. So I'd seen mm. them from a distance, but I'd never been up close. And in fact, what I didn't realize about the Jehovah's Witnesses baptism is that they don't say the words I baptize you in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit they don't say those words you know it's really strange um, they actually like before you get baptized they make you say answers to three questions you identify as Jehovah's Witness blah, blah, blah. and so it's all about the cult wow. it's all about the group yeah, you're not being baptized and into Jesus at that point. You're not being baptized into anything, you know. And then when you go under the water, it's silent. I was expecting the man you know, who was dunking me to say the words, you know, the biblical words, but he didn't. He just he was silent. So I was like, oh, what was that? You know, <laughs> that wow. was strange. So yeah, that was the first big red flag, I think. But then I just ignored it, and I just said, okay, well I've done this now, I've got to carry on. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> and and how long had you been in the the what we would call a church before you got baptized? To be in the Jehovah's Witnesses um, organization specifically, or churches in general, different churches. Jehovah's Witness, yeah. I mean, okay. was there a period of time where they kind of yes. came in as a guest? Yes, they, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's right. That was quite um, as I said, kind of fast forwarded, uh, fast track <laughs> along that process, but. <laughs> Um, it was just over a year, I think, before that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You So you touched on the fear thing, which I find mm -hmm. intriguing. This is universal amongst yeah. all cults, all of them. Mm. Now, yes. I don't know if you have the book, The Kingdom of the Cults. It's very big. I don't. I've heard of it, but uh, yeah, I would like to read it. Mm. Wonderful study. You know, it goes into the history of the, the uh, Watchtower, Mormonism, all sorts of different mm. uh, Christian cults. One of the most... Uh, common themes among them all, the lowest common denominator is that everything is built on fear. And mm. I remember in, in the, the oneness Pentecostal cult I was in, uh, when we took communion mm. and I, I don't know if Jehovah's witnesses do that, but we, we only did it once in a while and it was entirely up okay. to the pastor's choice of when we did it. 
Right. Uh, and generally it was once a year and it was a very fearful, somber thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody came head dragging. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no joy. There was no singing. Mm-hmm. There was no looking at the event of this is what Christ did for us. And so yeah. we had this outpour of joy. It was always based on mm-hmm. using the scripture where it says, if you, if you drink this, yeah. you bring mm-hmm. unto yourself condemnation. And so it was just mm-hmm. this scary, fearful, joyless event. Yeah. And then I, mm-hmm. I think back towards some of the preaching. And mm-hmm. if you've ever been around Oneness Pentecostal preaching, which I think you said you had visited a couple times. We've been to one Pentecostal church in Chile. My brother-in-law is the Oneness Pentecostal, um, to my knowledge, but I've never been to a church with him. They live in the States now. Ah. But yeah. But I, you know, most of the time during the preaching, it is angry. Mm. It is right. screaming oh. and violent oh. and sweaty oh. and and it just it just seems mad. I've heard people say as a guest, they say, if you guys are so joyful and you're the true church, why is everybody screaming and crying and yeah. mad all the time? <laughs> oh, that's right. I went to a Pentecostal. I think I also had told you experience when I was a teenager. A massive big conference. And yeah, people were all speaking in tongues at once, were crying out and shaking. Mm-hmm. There was one boy there barking like a dog literally uh-huh. and I was really scared by it I was like what on earth is this what have I walked into because I hadn't been brought up in that tradition so yeah it's been... strange yeah for yeah. sure <laughs> so with that fear one of my questions here on my my chart uh, you're you're playing right into this which is perfect thank you Emily but <laughs> but when we talk about fear I always ask the question, how long did it take you, Emily, to overcome that fear after mm-hmm. leaving? Because most people I've spoken with, yes. it, it clings to them for for a it lifetime or a long you. time. It's for a long time. It's a very good question. Well, so, as I say, we kind of left in 2009, and we made a big effort to move on. As I say, I just wanted to forget it ever happened. I didn't talk about it publicly. I just wanted to forget it and hope it would go away. And... And so instead of processing it in a healthy way, I just internalized all those fears mm-hmm. and and the shame, as I say. And so we went after that from church to church to church, because you know how, isn't it, the verse in Hebrews 10, you must you know, forsake you know, um, meeting together, the assembling of ourselves, etc. And so that verse was kind of like, uh, we, we kind of understood in a very unhealthy way that we needed to find a church to congregate with. And so we left the witnesses and we tried literally church after church after church. And we're still in that process now. But And because we hadn't worked through our fears and because we weren't at a healthy place emotionally, we were just going to these churches, feel like outsiders, not dare to tell anybody what we'd been through, and and end up just finding fault with everything and feeling you know, like strangers, feeling that we didn't fit which is often true, <laughs> and there's a lot of fault to find if you're looking for it, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. And so we just went, as I say, from church to church to church and kept having all these terrible experiences, and then we felt so alone, but again the verse from Hebrews 10 was pushing us, so we thought we'd go back to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Can you believe it? Mm, I do believe <laughs> we it. <laughs> I do. It's awful. It's really hard for me to admit even now, but it was a period in 2013 we went back. And in fact, I think, to be honest, that if you go back, it can be a, a helpful thing because it kind of reinforces to you why you left. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm so not sure if I've... Experience. 
I'm not yes. sure if I've shared mm-hmm. this with you and your mm-hmm. group, but I know mm-hmm. after I left the the cult organization I was in, probably mm-hmm. about four months later, my son left. Yes. Now he's an adult. He's oh, right. uh, he's yes. 23, mm-hmm. and yes. he left for about a week. And okay. the fear came on so strong oh, uh, and our church taught all the time that they had stories by the thousands of what happens oh. to brother so-and-so when they leave, you know, oh. their, their, their family breaks up, somebody's going to die. You're going to get cancer. Oh. Finances yeah. are going to just be you know, just destroyed. So he goes mm. back and mm. it was, it was actually in that event that taught him why he left the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> because all the, all the, the trust was gone. People put him on yeah. the back burner and, mm-hmm. and nobody trusted him mm-hmm. anymore. And, and the shunning yes. started. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of people do that. Yes, it's true. They do. And so for us, it was, I mean, it was more to me as my husband, because as he'd been brought up in the organization, I would have been very happy just to leave and never, ever go back. But mm-hmm. he went back and he started going back. And then I felt inadequate because I thought, okay, I'm not congregating. My husband's congregating. I mean, you know, I'm a, um, a deficient Christian or whatever, a defective Christian because I'm not congregating. And so all that was going through my head. And so I started accompanying him to the Jehovah's Witnesses in a group in 2013. And that was an interesting experience, actually, because it was an English-speaking congregation. But we have always, well, apart from now, because we've moved to Spain, but we've generally lived in Chile, as you know, in South America. Um, so we were going to this English-speaking congregation, and they were their mission, in fact, was to reach out to um, English speakers in that area. And so I think that's why he thought it could be more interesting. But people were so proud and stuck up and, and very unfriendly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so we were like, well, what are we doing here? So we attended there for maybe a month or something, a month and a half, and then we stopped. because, And we were very hurt by the experience of going back. You know, it I was bet. very painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tragic. So, so mm-hmm. to, to finish that story, in, in yes. conjunction with yours, my son goes yeah. back. The, he goes back after that week. He he made it for about, oh, <clears throat> I would say two months, and then he left oh, again. Oh wow! Yeah. And then he went back That's again. True. Okay. Yes. Yes. We went back again. Actually, then in 2015, <laughs> that was our final <laughs> attempt. So, uh, what kept pulling you back? Yeah. Was it literally just your husband's? Uh, yeah. lifelong experience from growing yes, up in it. As it. Yeah, I think so. And the kind of habit, and especially, you know, I don't know if the Pentecostals do this, but the Jehovah's Witnesses have these big conventions yep. and like a conference assembly. And they last, there's one every year that lasts three days and there's one yes. last two days and one that lasts one year. Yeah. And so for him, it was like a habit. It was like a religious thing that he would be there. And sometimes, like, especially when we'd just woken up and he knew I was really against it, he'd literally go off on his own. I'd see him in the morning. He'd go off in his suit because you have to wear, you know, a suit and tie, yes, yes. isn't it? And a little briefcase, yeah. <laughs> and he'd, like, disappear sometimes. Like, where are you going? He wouldn't tell me because he knew that I'd disapprove. And then he'd, like, come back in the afternoon in a really bad mood, feeling dejected and depressed and tell me where he'd be. like, why did you go? <laughs> So it was it was my insecurity feeling, you know, that I couldn't be a Christian without going to church. church. You know, that was what kept pushing me back. Yeah. Yeah. So did you did you fear uh God cursing you? That's a big thing in the in the Pentecostal religion right. is that if you're not there every mm-hmm. time the doors are open, if you're not at mm-hmm. the church praying every day, mm-hmm. if you stop paying your tithes and your offerings, they had they had all these stories of what happened to people when they stopped doing those things. Was that a, right. a factor for you too? 
It's a good question. It wasn't so much God because I'm, I'm very lucky in fact that I was brought up as a child, as a Christian, and I'd always known deep in my heart that God is love. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd always known that very pers- personally, God is merciful, God is love. So I never felt that God would be disapproving or wanting to curse me, but it was more that I felt the disapproval, um, perhaps <laughs> on a more personal level, that, that my husband would think I was a, mm. you know, ineffectual or insincere Christian because I didn't want to go to a church. And the and shunning, of course. It. Shunning was, yeah, I'm very thankful if that less of an issue uh, for me personally because I just didn't have many friends <laughs> in the... Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, church. but I understand. You know, no, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I was always a bit kind of on the outside. I mean, I sound quite outgoing online, but in person sometimes if I'm in an environment where I feel it's like an unhealthy um fear-based environments like in a cult I kind of shut down emotionally I become very Mm. quiet I'm very very introverted so I would go along to the Jehovah's Witnesses meetings and and usually I mean when I was before I got baptized and then when I was first baptized my husband and I were not yet married we were engaged and and but not yet married we didn't live together or anything but we were that was the stage of life that we were at and so because we were not yet married and even though we weren't living together and following all the rules, etc., they kind of looked down on us. We were disapproved of because we hadn't, you know, people rush into marriage, isn't it, in cults mm-hmm. generally. Yep. <laughs> you get pushed yep. into getting married very quickly. Yes. Um, but my husband was studying at university and he kept saying, no, we've got to wait for the right time to get married. He didn't want to for us to rush it. I think it was a very wise decision <laughs> in the long run. And so because we weren't married, um, People will gossip about us terribly, yes, as if yes. yeah, as if we were living in sin, and nobody bothered to check. <laughs> of <course laughs> nobody not. bothered to find out. No, <laughs> they just enjoyed gossiping about us, and so for that reason, I'd always kind of very much been on the outside of the congregation. In Chile, they didn't include me in things, so I didn't have a lot of friends to lose when I left because <laughs> I'd never, you know, really. I asked now because, of course, mm-hmm. in the studies I've been doing in the last two years, mm-hmm. the Jehovah's yes. Witnesses are the only ones I know of that literally mm-hmm. have web pages dedicated to teaching you when, how, and why you should shun people. It's true. And videos. Yeah, and videos, people. yes. In now, videos, it's a given exactly. in most cults. I mean, my cult, mm-hmm. uh, if somebody left the, the local church, uh, you know, you were taught very strongly that you needed to avoid contact with them. And right. at some okay. point they would disfellowship or discommunicate people at um, certain times. Mm, and then you yes. were restricted from seeing them at all. But that was yes. more of a spoken rule. Jehovah's mm. Witnesses actually have it written down. Yes, it's absolutely written down. And it's really strict. And in fact, as I said, I was kind of pre-shunned as it were, because I was on the outside. So I actually did experience shunning. But when I was in the organization, <laughs> when I was a Jehovah's Witness, when I was an active Jehovah's Witness, I remember once I was walking over the road and there was a lady who was in the same congregation of me. And I said hello to her on previous occasion. She knew who I was. She knew my name. And we walked past each other, and I looked her in the face, and I smiled, and I said, hola, you know, hello. And she just looked away, and she pretended I didn't exist. You know, she just kind of, it was so painful. Like, I know people who have come out of the witnesses who have had good, good friends, and their whole family or their whole community, like, literally, they won't look at you in the street. They won't acknowledge 
Yeah, your existence. I had the pastor That's do that really, to me. Really? Yeah, I remember the event. And it was actually before I started blogging and before I started my YouTube right. channel. So it was before yes. I went public. And wow. I was at a driveway of a local house with another businessman. Um, and the pastor pulled up and I waved and said hello. And he mm -hmm. spoke to the man next to me. Wouldn't even look at my eyes. Wouldn't acknowledge mm -hmm. me. They spoke yeah. for about a minute and then he started yes. to pull away. And I tried again to say, mm -hmm. you know, wave and say goodbye and he yeah. ignored me. And the man I was with turned and looked mm -hmm. at me and he said, that was really weird. What just happened? That was really, yeah, it's horrible. I think it's the worst damage you can do to another human being, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's really invalidating. But, yeah. but you would think that the pastor who, mm -hmm. who spends his days saying, I love you, I love you, yeah. do what I tell you because I love you. Mm -hmm. I um, when you stop listening, at that point, they just turn away and walk away and yeah just terrible love is turned off yeah it was never real yes yeah yes. so uh in the vein of distorted views of god i think mm. anybody who listens to this is going to start picking up on quite a few of those but mm. as it relates to um your experience what mm. what do you think if somebody asked you what is a distorted view of god what would you answer Mm, it's a, it's a big question. question. <laughs> it is a good question, yes. Well, one big thing for me was personally coming out of the group and learning that God is um, not some big, angry, judgmental um, being in the sky who's going to just, like, for example, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, you can have a Christmas tree. I don't know if one of Pentecostals do Christmas at all. Most of them, or, yes. <laughs> yes, they do. Okay. So for us, it was like there were so many things that were labeled pagan. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. That pagan label was just used to instill fear in people. And, and I know that, you know, God does hate us ideology that's true but the fact that he he hates the thing and he doesn't hate people do you know mm -hmm. what I mean that, that mm -hmm. he could never ever hate a human being that he's created yes. and and that took me a long time to overcome so I remember one example as you're talking about earlier overcoming the fears and the phobias <laughs> overcoming all that that the, the influence they've given you of what they call God you know which really isn't isn't it because God is not um, not like that. I had a friend of mine come to the door and she gave me a, um, a, a, a Christmas wreath, you know, like one of those circles of holly or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. like it was literally just a circle of a plant. <laughs> it was a circle. It didn't have any decoration. It was a piece of plant. And she said, I know, she said, I've made this for you myself. I just wanted to give you as a gift. So a really kind thing, a friendly thing that a neighbor had done. And I remember that was 2014. So taking in mind, keep in mind what we left in 2009. You'd think after five years I would have got over that fear, that phobia mm -hmm. of displeasing, displeasing God by accepting, you know, Christmas decorations, whatever. And so, but she gave me this piece of plant, this, this decoration, a Christmas decoration, and actually I wouldn't even touch it. I wouldn't take it in my hands because it was as if it was radioactive. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh... And that's five I know, years later. I was, <laughs> exactly, five years later. And I thought that, you know, by putting that thing on my door, I was going to attract evil spirits to the mm. house, that I was going to attract God's disfavor, his condemnation. And so that kind of, as you say, distorted view of God, who is God, and why would we even care, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Over some uh, organic material yeah, formed organic as a circle. Material on, your, <laughs> on your door, I know. 
So that took me a long time to overcome. And I think, again, for me, the kind of judgmental attitude in myself based on fear. I mean, why do people come to judgmental, isn't it, and over-controlling? It's because they've just got this panic in their hearts. Yeah. Like, oh, if I do this, God is going to hate me or God is going to cut me off or God is going to curse me. So I think when you can get past the fear, isn't it, I think the big verse for me is, uh, of course, perfect love casts out all fear. Yes. Um, so coming to realize, is my view of God, is it based on love? Is this practice based on his compassion or is it based on my fear of, you know, displeasing him or being hurt by him? And like, is that really God? So it's, yeah. You and I must have some kindred spirit because you've said so many things that, that I personally believe myself. One of of the things that I realized, and it sounds like it might've been a little different for you on this side. For me, I realized that I feared the organization and the pastor more than Mm. God. In fact, I wrote an article a while back called, Mm. uh, are you really a Christian if you're legislated? In other words, mm. if everything you do is controlled by another human being and yes. your your every day is fearful of whether or not you've pleased them, or yeah. rather than wondering, I wonder what God thinks about this, you think, yeah. uh, if the pastor found out about this, that's what I'm concerned yeah. with. Yeah, that's right. That's true. That's, so, a, that's a distorted view of God to me is when the yeah. focus is taken from God and it's put on the organization, which yes. sounds like that's exactly what was happening, especially even at your baptism. Yes. Yes, the baptism was awful. And uh, another thing I noticed specifically, the baptism, it's interesting, very interesting that day, was like the old people. You know, I was kind of realizing my night, I shouldn't say old people, but elderly people, you know, very, <laughs> very... Um, <laughs> We're all going to get old thought, someday. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I kind of thought in my mind, if this is the one true religion, you know, like they say, isn't it? This is the only true they all religion. Say it. They all say, isn't it? It's true. Now, if this is the case, then the older people in the congregation, the elderly people, if they spent a whole lifetime following the rules and following all these um, expectations, then they should be, by all rights, the most loving and the most holy and the most gentle and spirit, yes. spiritual people out there, isn't it? If yes. that's the case. Because if you spent 50 or 60 years in something, you should have good fruits, isn't it? I thought that mm-hmm. was that was my reasoning. But then I started to meet some of the older people. There's one particular lady, I think she was in her 90s. I mean, I shouldn't judge her because I'm sure she'd had a difficult life. So it's not a criticism of her personally, but of the older people that I met, they were not, you know, the most spiritual and gentle and loving people. They were often embittered and gossipy and yeah. difficult and and stuff and... I remember one of them wouldn't drink water, and it's very difficult, isn't it, for older people often to get them to drink water and stuff <laughs> and get dehydrated. And I was like, oh, this is this is strange, you know, why are these older people so kind of cantankerous and stuff? Like, this is not a good fruit. It's <laughs> not is, a good uh, fruit. No. In fact, I remember the, the number two guy in the church I belong to, he was... He was known as the guy who would run around after the service or even during service and he'd point his finger in the face of somebody who wasn't performing well enough and oh. and scream and yell at them and criticize mm. and tell them they better step it up and they better, oh. yeah, they, they, you know, because we had a lot of performance-based um, yeah. requirements in our church. Yes, yes, yes. And I don't know, so, so I wanted to mention that before we run out mm. of time. 
because mm. I'm really curious what it was like in your uh, situation. Mm. For us, we had a laundry list, and it goes on and on and on <laughs> of what we can and cannot do. You, yeah. know, you may have picked up for me a little bit by now. Yeah. You know, the women yeah. couldn't wear makeup or cut their hair yeah. or perm their yeah. hair. You know, guys mm. couldn't have facial hair. No one could wear mm. T-shirts or shorts. The, yeah. the list just went on and on and on. Right. What was it yeah. like for you and the Jehovah's Witnesses? Was it, mm. was it like that to a degree? It, it's to some degree, yes. There's certain things that they haven't got. Men can't have a beard for some weird reason, isn't it? <laughs> I don't it's know why. Unless strange. you've got like, some, <laughs> it is. Unless you've got like some kind of facial condition that doesn't allow you to shave. You know, if you've got like irritable skin or something, you're allowed to grow a beard, but most people don't. And women, you do always have to wear skirts or dresses to go yes. to the meetings. It's not as straight. You know, you can wear trousers or pants, as you'd say, on your in in your free time if you're at home. Or something, um, you could do that. Um, you're allowed to wear makeup, but you know the the requirements are more kind of time based. What you mm. do, you do with your time. And you've said this before, isn't it, with the Pentecostals that you're expected to go to the the meetings and be there every day in prayer, mm. isn't it? I remember mm -hmm. you said. Mm -hmm. With the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's more about how much time are you going out doing the preaching, you know, the door-to-door -door preaching, um, uh, as they'll call it. And you actually have to log those hours. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> you no, have I to, uh, yeah, yeah, you have to write down. So if you spend like half an hour one morning going from door to door, you write that down. Or if you spend like three hours, or whatever. And then at the end of the month, you have to give in that time on a little slip of paper. They do it now, of course, online. But you have to log the amount of time. So I think the recommended minimum is well, it used to be about four hours a month, but you're supposed to, you're expected to do much more, you know, 15 wow. hours or whatever of preaching. And then, and that was something again that I really didn't ever feel comfortable with because, in fact, my husband who'd been brought up in it, but he had a much more relaxed and open attitude at that point. And so he was saying things like, "Why should we we be logging the time we're spending preaching?" Yeah, doesn't God um, know? Yes, exactly. And as, as the Bible says, isn't it, the left hand should not know what the right hand is doing, yes, isn't it, when we're yeah. giving? And if we're considering this is what we say, our service, our gift to God, why should we even log it down? But it, of course, it's a control. You know, um, totally about control mechanism. Yes, and so for example, the elders in the organisation will be reviewing every individual how much time they've logged per month. And if there's somebody who, let's say, normally logs 15 hours or whatever or more, some people that spend hundreds of hours literally uh, per year, and if they spend less time, then they get called up and they get asked to give an account of what they've been doing mm -hmm. and why their hours have slipped off, and you can be disciplined, etc. So it's all about wow. time. Yeah. Isn't that just so opposing to the message of Christ? Mm, it's yes. in exact opposition to the yes. gospel. I, we had the yes. same thing in a sense, like mm. every service was tracked. You know, they had somebody who, oh, wow. who yeah. uh, marked you off on the mm. list or on a computer mm. every time you were there for service. And, mm. and you had to put your name on the envelope for giving your tithes and offerings. So they would track how much you've given. And if mm. you started to dry up, they'd call you in and ask you, you know, okay. what's going on? Why aren't you giving? Right. It's a little similar in that, but um, mm -hmm. that's crazy. It's just so yes. opposite to God. That would definitely yeah. be considered a distorted view. Yes, it's a distorted God. view. Yeah. yeah incredible. Incredible. Mm -hmm. So you never got to really answer fully the question um, of how long did it take you to overcome that fear? Yes, that's question. It's a good question. So amazing. It was such an incredible process. So, as I say, we came out in 2009. 
kept going back. And then there was one day, I think as I say, it was about May, I can tell you the exact month, May 2016. And I'd been going through a lot of different thoughts about it. And I started looking online again. As I said, when we first woke up in 2009, we looked at these YouTube videos of mine and discovered all the lies about the cult. And that had led, as I say, to my husband's depression and things and very difficult period for us. So I kind of associated those YouTube videos with like bearers of truth, but it was crazy and very very scary, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought that in the, those first videos we'd seen in 2009 were so terrifying because we'd learned all about the lies we'd believed and so we, we didn't find comfort in them and we didn't find any connection with others. That was just sort of kind of learning the truth and being like, very scared by it and then gradually coming out. But in 2016, one day I was doing a YouTube, you know, just looking at stuff. And I didn't want to look at videos of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses because I thought they were going to scare me again. I thought they were going to bring me to a very dark place. So I didn't want to look at them. But then one day I was looking at different stuff. And there was one video in the corner of the screen. And it was a lady wearing a pink T-shirt. And something in my spirit, something in me kept saying, Emily, watch that video, watch that video, watch that video. <laughs> you know, like... Uh... Uh, very strange, and and it said like my story out of the out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I didn't want to watch it. I was like, no, because this person is going to bring me into bitterness, and and I don't want to be a victim, and, and all this. And I was like, I don't want to relive that area of it, part of my life. So I was resisting clicking on the videos on, the, on that video, and so I was looking at others, but that video kept popping up, you know, <laughs> on the list of suggested ones. And again, I kept feeling like God in my spirit, like say to me, watch it watch it, watch it, and eventually I was obedient, I thought, okay, I'm going to watch it, so I did, and it was the most beautiful thing, and it was just like a revelation for me, because it was a lady who'd come out of the witnesses, but she'd held strong to her faith, you know, that was the, mm -hmm. uh, the big thing, really, so she, yeah, she'd hold, yeah, she'd held her firm, and she was talking about her, how her faith in Jesus had brought her out of the organization, and how she'd remained, you know, strong. Um, with him and through him and I was like wow because I didn't realize at that point that there were other um, ex-cult members ex terrorist witnesses who did have a strong faith in Jesus I thought most of them were like bitter and angry and atheistic you know all those things that we mm. imagine isn't it other people are and it was just a, a stereotype isn't it yep. I didn't want to see people as human beings I didn't understand you know the complexity isn't it of coming out of a cult so um, through clicking on that video and hearing her story of her faith and her, you know, warmth and her love that she expressed through the video, I was like, oh, you know, I thought, well, maybe there are other people like that out there that do have a faith that have come through this kind of experience. So I was so excited, and I sat down and wrote her a message immediately. <laughs> I wrote her, and it was funny because at that point I was still controlled by the fear, so I didn't want to write a message. You know, when you write a, like a little comment under a video, it's public, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yep. And so I was really afraid, and I don't know even who I was afraid of because there was nobody even shunning me, but I was afraid to write under the video a public comment. So I contacted her via the channel. You know, you can write on people's channel page, and I thought that would be more private. Um, so she must have received an email not notification about it, but she couldn't find my message <laughs> because I had written in such a, a hidden place on her channel. <laughs> 
Um, so eventually she found a way to contact me by email and she said, hey, I saw that you wrote a message but I couldn't read it, are you okay? And so then I was able to communicate with her and I'm incredible. That night um, we chatted via WhatsApp for like an hour. <laughs> we uh, were able to connect and it was such a big step for me, you know, to come out of the shadows as it were and meet somebody else who understood, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. to to not feel alone anymore because with my husband we kind of felt very alone that we, we didn't think anybody understood yeah um so that was a massive massive big thing and so that's what started me with the blogging because i thought you know i would like to reach out and find see if there are other people who've been through this that have held on into their faith and so i started gradually blogging and then started the facebook group so it wasn't until yeah 2016 so seven years after initially leaving that we started to kind of open up and move towards that's incredible uh, healthy yes. <laughs> seven years yeah. really you could say that was about seven years then for your recovery mm. to go from mm. bottling yeah. it up still being kind of trapped mm. by it yeah it sounded yeah. like you were telling yourself you'd moved on but really yeah you no hadn't. yeah we hadn't at all and still the fear and very isolating isn't it to feel yes. that nobody understands that nobody gets you and you go to churches and people don't really know what you've been through and i think there's a lot of misconceptions isn't it yes. among christians that haven't been through this and they think you've been a stupid or gullible or they think uh -huh. the people in in cults are not intelligent or whatever which is there's not a lot true of victim blaming isn't it it is. It's totally victim blaming. Yes. Yes. It's terrible. Mm. It's a distorted view of God all, all in of it itself. Um, yeah. So kind of on that topic then, as you get into recovery, Emily, and you, mm. I have learned from just talking to you online, um, your videos, you have such a sweet nature that draws people in, um, <clears throat> you know, it really expresses the fact that you become more comfortable uh, talking mm. about it, you've spoken yes. recently about books you're reading, one called Boundaries. Yeah. Yes, the Boundaries book's great. Mm. Yes. yes, if if you were to look back on that period of time of coming mm. through the fear into recovery, mm. um, A, do you believe that you'll ever fully recover, or is it going to be a process, and B, what would you tell somebody else who who was in the shoes you were, were in six years ago? Mm. What would you tell them would be the most important thing to guide them to recovery? Yeah, it was a very good question. I think for me, you need to find kind of kindred spirits, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> you need to find yes. people that really understand and people that you can trust. You know, that's uh, been mm. the key for me. So as I say, in the group, um, I mean, I would love to invite anybody <laughs> who would like to come and just to feel that you've got a safe space to share mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. Facebook group. But uh, more than that, what's been really important for me is to make personal connections like on a one-to-one -one basis. Yes. You know, it's people that you can chat to. So I've got several friends who, when I'm having a difficult time or, or need to chat with somebody or people who want to chat with me, we chat, you know, like via um, private messenger or speak on the phone. And just to know that there's a human being out there who cares about you, isn't it? And that we can, yeah, and understands. And a big, big thing for me was finding um, friendships with people who are, are, are willing and able to give friendship, you know. Um, so I, at the beginning, I remember I met people who just wanted to vent and to shout and to, to complain to me, which is fine. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's the stages that we all go through. But those people were not able or willing to listen to me. 
Do you know what I mean? It wasn't a it's mutual like friendship. Yeah. It's not a healthy friendship. It was just like me being uh, someone's a, a shoulder to cry on, which is fine. That's great. But it wasn't of what I really seek now is friendships where people I can share with somebody and then they can share with me. It's like a mutual giving and receiving. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. You can only absorb so much. Those you those people that are stuck so inventing, yeah. you, you can only take it so long. Yeah, and I think that's fine to vent, but as long as the, the person then, when you're needing somebody to vent to, they're <laughs> able and there to listen to you. Yes, yes. <laughs> there is a couple who uh, found my YouTube channel probably mm. about four months ago, mm. and they had just come out of the uh, UPC, which is the United Pentecostal Church right. International, which is kind of the, mm. the largest well-known oneness Pentecostal organization. Yes, yeah. Um, and they said something to me that... that that reminded me because when I came out of the church or the cult that I was in, I was mm -hmm. literally alone. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my, my spouse has remained in there and yeah. I really had no friends and, and, and there was nobody to actually connect with. And you said the best yeah. thing was to understand you. So, yes. so that's what they said when they, when they came mm -hmm. out, they found my videos and they, mm -hmm. they, that's initially what they said is, wow, there's actually yes. somebody out there yes. who understands yeah. exactly what exactly. I went through. I have to connect with that person. Yes, And so true. we did end up connecting. I connected them to a whole other group of people I'm connected wow. with. And now we yes. use an app called Marco Polo, which is kind of like a little yes. fun walkie-talkie app on that's your phone. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. and so we stay connected almost daily. Mm -hmm. And it's such a healthy thing to yes. uh, not have to be performing or to no. to feel like somebody's going to judge you based on whether yes. or not you're doing it just right. It's and, true. and I think that was the biggest problem with the cult. Mm. Um, yeah. It was that you had to live up to a particular measurement. Yeah. Was that true for you too? It's true. Absolutely. And you always have been measured in terms of your time and your hours and your attendance <laughs> to the meetings and your, yeah. you know, perfect behavior. Oh, yeah, but that just wasn't what Jesus came to do, was it? No, in fact, not at all. Somebody asked me a while back, "Why, why do you keep talking about this stuff?" And and mm. my answer has always been, "Do you know that the only people Jesus ever criticized was the cultish?" Mm. Yes, it's true. Absolutely. He, he, he never yeah. went after mm. the liar, the thief, the adulteress. No, no, he said, no. "You people who are bogging people down with your rules and regulations, yeah. you're the problem." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's true. Yeah. It's absolutely Well, we have used up uh, about an hour. This has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I so much appreciate your time, Emily. And, yes. Uh, the, the sharing of your story. Where can people find out more about you who listen to this podcast? Where can they go to, to, to read your blog and, and to yeah. connect with you? Yeah, that's how it, well, if you go to faithafterdeception.wordpress.com, I just put Faith After Deception into Google um, browser or whatever, whichever browser, and then the Facebook group is Faith After Deception Fellowship, so that's, um, there are a couple of entry questions, and it is a, it is um is a Christian faith-based group, and there are a lot of other groups, you know, that are not specifically Christian faith-based, there's, um, um, there's one I think you were involved with. It's the well, it does say Christian, but it's more kind of relaxed, isn't it? Well, not that our group isn't relaxed, <laughs> but uh, the Christian Koinonia. Are you part of that one? I'm not sure. Uh, so, I am, yeah. And there's another mm, one. I'm in an XUPC group. And right, that one is, yes. It's just about our background. It's not about yeah. being a Christian group. A lot of people in there that yes. have faith still. 
Um, But I think for those who want to really recover and and maintain their faith, it's important to be in a group of people who are striving to keep their faith. Exactly. That's important because that's what I felt so alone. And a lot of these online groups, especially the ex-Jehovah's Witness ones, are very anti-God. Oh, they very, 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 yes. yes. And it really brings Mm. up the hate in people. In fact, that reminded me, uh, for those who come to Faith After Deception, there is one topic that's off limits, isn't there? Um, well, the other group, the Healing Through the Words of God, yeah, we don't discuss the Trinity because that brings out the beast in people. Yes, it it's really true. does. I asked that yeah. specifically because I used to belong to a group called uh, the uh, Godhead's uh, Symposium. Oh. And it was a, literally a page dedicated to arguing about the yeah. trinity versus the it's oneness yeah yeah and i i was a part of it for about a week before i had to leave because it was so toxic yeah. it was nothing mm. but angry and hateful yes. fighting exactly. yeah. it's fighting yes it's yeah fine. so we have to have a good safe place to recover our faith yeah. i think mm. you've definitely given people that place emily so i appreciate that i want to say thank yeah. you and i'm glad i get to be a part of your group no, all glory be to God, and it's been a real pleasure, and you've been contributing so much, and I know that people really appreciate your videos in there, and the blog posts, and now the podcast, so yeah, it's a exciting time. Whatever we <laughs> to, can do to help people get out. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Help people move towards a healthy place. Yes, yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to end the call with that, and I look yeah. forward to putting this online, and then and yeah. hopefully get your feedback. 